Welcome to Out on a Limb, where traditional finance and the new digital economy converge with a sense of history. My name is Tim Enneking, and this is episode 19. It is the January 17th, uh, 2023, and it's just after 3 o'clock. We're going to talk about four topics today, one of which, the last of which is very, very brief. The first is a 2022 scorecard and 2023 predictions. Uh, in terms of scorecard, uh, based on uh, the best counting that uh, we've been able to do, it looks like there were about eight solid predictions and six of them have turned out uh, to be true. Now, there's a couple of them like uh, little fallout or limited fallout from FTX that are probably not quite over, but I think that's uh, quite a fair assessment. Now, in that, with respect to that particular one, it's sort of interesting reading fiat journalists and even some crypto stuff, but mainly it's, it's uh, Bloomberg and New York Times and, and others. You think it was the end of the world in the crypto space. And it's got, uh, I've been thinking about that for a while. And what's really going on, because if you know the crypto space, it's actually not that bad. It's been, the fallout's been quite limited. And again, as I pointed out earlier, I had the Problems with FTX happened in January of last year. For instance, when the market was at its high, it would have been a disaster. But with the prices going down, there was a lot of de-risking, de-leveraging, Celsius in May and all the other things, UST, Terra Luna, et cetera, uh, further accelerated that. So by the time the problems hit, there were really recycled problems, such as a Voyager bailout. And there were a few uh, new ones like the Gemini Genesis mess, but that at least has as many roots in the Celsius issues in May uh, and, rather than the FTX issues in November. So really it is quite limited, but some of the fallout is much more obvious than it has been in the past. We haven't seen major arrests. We haven't seen major lawsuits. And of course, that's partly because of the size. When crypto was relatively small, it just didn't rise to the level that traditional or fiat law enforcement and other authorities would pay attention to. And we're well past that level now, so you have a, a lot more attention being paid. Things like the, the dark web and various other uh, crypto projects have may have resulted in an SEC action or something like that, but it really never got the sort of attention that uh, FTX in particular has gotten. So we shouldn't confuse the amount of attention paid with the amount, uh, the level of seriousness of the problem. So in any event, batting about 750 is uh, not bad at all. We'll see, may get better, may get worse, but I think it'll probably end up being stable right around there. Uh, I'm going to make a number of predictions for 2023. Strangely enough, although the purpose of this podcast is traditional finance and the new digital economy, uh, the first prediction I'm going to make has nothing to do with either, or little to do with either, and that is in the in the Ukraine. Uh, my I think this year the UK, Ukraine will prevail, uh, basically because I think Russia is becoming exhausted physically and it's already morally bankrupt, but also because they're, they're literally running out of weapons. Uh, the West can outproduce Russia and, and Iran. North Korea by orders of magnitude, so I don't see uh, 
It's going to be tough. It's going to be very difficult, and Ukraine is going to suffer even more. But I think it will prevail. And then the corollary to that is Putin and Lukashenko, who is the uh, the dictator, the last dictator in Europe who runs uh, Belarus, will be gone by the end of the year. So there's my first prediction. More to ground. Uh, in terms of Bitcoin, my prediction is that BTC will hit $45,000 by the end of the year. And then corollary, uh, S&P will hit 4200 by the end of the year. Now, Bitcoin, uh, the increase there is much, much larger Although, since I first made these notes, it's actually gotten quite a bit higher. It's interesting what ha what's happened with the S&P. It's also moved up during this early part of 2023, but it stalled just under, uh, just under 4K. So really, uh, I'm calling for a 5% increase in the S&P, uh, but, but Bitcoin more than doubling. And if you go back to 16, where it was when I was making these notes, almost tripling. But I'm very comfortable with that because the other corollary is correlation. Correlation has been very high between BCT and New York equities markets. Uh, so implicit in those two predictions is that that correlation is going to break, just as I described earlier a couple of times, and that is fiat markets will move generally sideways, not particularly, uh, not particularly quickly. They'll angle up. Uh, Bitcoin will go up much more quickly, and that, of course, means correlation has to break. It's not going to plunge, but it's been as high as 0 0.75, uh, 0 0.75, which means three-quarters Bitcoin imitates, if you will, the fiat markets three-quarters of the time. I think it's going to drop to less than 0 0.5, so you'll see some fairly uh, significant, uh, significant changes. Then the last prediction is regarding crypto regulation. Because you have uh, Mika in, the, in Europe, that is, you have the new uh, Digital Assets Act in Europe, you have China that has basically shut down crypto. Really, the only remaining large economy or economic area which doesn't have comprehensive crypto regulation is the United States. Uh, I sus there will be some crypto regulation in the U.S. I don't think it's going to be particularly comprehensive because of a divided Congress, but I, my prediction is there will be some, and that as a result of that, the CFTC will have more uh, jurisdiction over crypto than it does now, and the SEC will have less. So there's my scorecard for last year, predictions for this year. Uh, the second topic is one that yeah, most people address at the end of the year, and I'm deliberately not addressing it then, I'm addressing it a bit later, and that is, what is tax loss harvesting? It's an interesting concept. It applies both to crypto and to fiat, and I think it's a good time to talk about it because one shouldn't save tax loss harvesting until the end of the year. The basic concept is quite simple. You bought some asset, whether it be fiat or crypto, it doesn't matter, at a certain price. Let's just use an example of $10. It's generally easier to use hard numbers than talk completely conceptually. And so you buy it, and during the course of the year, it drops to $9. Make it not terribly dramatic. How do you gain from that? You're, you lost a dollar, your asset lost a dollar, but you haven't realized it. So what you can do is sell it for $9 and immediately buy it back for $9 and realize a loss. 
Now, here you have a distinction. Uh, there is something called the 30-day wash rule in the United States, and most jurisdictions have an equivalent of this, and that is if you sell something at a loss, you can't buy it right back again. So you can't realize, effectively, artificially realize uh, the loss and, and still have the asset at the same price. Well, in the U.S., you can do that with crypto. I actually just confirmed that earlier today with the auditor of the crypto fund I run. Absolutely does not apply. So if you bought a bunch of Bitcoin, it went down, you want to get some benefit of it. Whatever your tax bracket is, and let's say you're in a, a 30% tax bracket in the United States, you can get 30 cents on the dollar back, provided you can offset those losses against some gains, because it will reduce your gains. Now, I'm assuming a capital gains tax rate of 30%. It's probably less than the U.S. at any given time. It moves around 25 or 20. And again, depending if it's long-term or short-term, and most com countries have an equivalent of this. So you can actually effectively defer taxes. We'll get that to a second. But you can drop your tax bill by realizing losses. And then you buy the exact same asset back again. So you're in the same boat you were, except you have a taxable uh, you have a, a capital loss that you can use for tax purposes. And again, you have to have other gains that you can offset. And hey, you just got those gains tax-free. Now, again, it's a deferral. So we'll come back to that in a second. On the fiat side, though, you have something called the 30-day wash rule. So if you sell a stock, let's use a simple example, at $9 again, and you buy it back right away within less than 30 days, it doesn't count for tax purposes as a sale. If you wait 30 days and buy it back, it does count, but the price could have done a lot of things, including go back up, so you have to, to buy the same share of stock back, it's gonna cost you more money. So you haven't really gained anything. There are ways to, relatively sophisticated ways to minimize that issue. One is you sell one stock and you buy another stock that's of a similar company in the same sector. Other people, if you're talking about multiple stocks, They'll sell a basket of stocks in a, in a given sector, let's say that has a lot of overlap with an ETF. And so you sell the individual stocks and buy the ETF or, or vice versa, or a mutual fund that's got a, a basket, a relatively narrow basket of stocks in that case. Uh, you, there, can be some, there can be a lot of overlap, but it can't be 100% overlap. So you can't sell an ETF, for instance, and buy exactly the same mix of stocks back that would violate the wash rule. Uh, there is no specific percentage, but most Wall Street firms use a 70% overlap for that. So if you sell 100% of, of an index, you can buy 70% of those stocks, the same stocks back. Of course, you can buy 100% of stocks that are similar to the, the ones you got in the ETF. It's a very nice thing to do if you have losses, because if you don't do it, you have to wait until, and, and you, you want, don't want a tax advantage, you have to wait until the, the price moves back up. And maybe you really believe in the stock and you don't know when it's going to go up. You get no advantage while you're waiting. With tax loss harvesting, you do. Very convenient, very nice. We did a lot of this in my fund at the end of last year because last year was a tough year. Now, I refer to it as a, as a deferral because what happens, let's say you sell the stock at 10 or you bought it at 10 initially, you sold it at 10 and bought an equivalent stock, let's just say, or let's use crypto because then I don't have to worry about equivalents. You bought a token at 10, it went down to nine. You sold it, you bought it right back again. 
great, you've realized a, a loss of a dollar. You have some other, you have another capital gain of a dollar, you have a dollar loss, a dollar gain, you pay no taxes, great. Then you ultimately sell that token for $11 down the road. Now, had you not done tax loss harvesting, you would owe taxes on $1 of capital gains, the difference between 10 and 11. Because you completed tax loss harvesting, you dropped the price you paid for it or the basis down to $9. So when you sell it, you'll have $2 worth of capital gains, not one. So what you've done with tax loss harvesting is push back the time when you owe the taxes to the time you actually sell it. The one nuance here is that you can't both do tax loss harvesting and sell what you buy in the same year. If I bought it for 10 in January, I sell it for nine and buy it back for nine in May, so I've realized the tax losses, and then I sell it for 11 in December, I haven't accomplished anything because I'm all in the same tax year. So the tax loss harvesting has to take place in the prior tax year. Uh, it's a bit academic, and frankly, I thought the topic was a bit, was a real waste of time when I first heard about it, but since I've become a strong believer, it is a wonderful way to generate tax losses to uh, cover current capital gains, and you effectively, it's a tax deferral mechanism. You defer the dollar of that gain that you had from someplace else until when you actually sell whatever it is that you're, you're selling, the asset that you're selling. Also, it sometimes becomes an argument not to sell yet because Let's say at the end of the year, well, shoot, let me sell it for $11 in January instead of December, and then I defer my taxes for an entire year. Very, very convenient thing to do. Um, a lot of people, I wouldn't say huge numbers of people do it on the fiat side. As far as I know, very few, very few people do it on the crypto side. Uh, we did it in 2021 quite extensively. Obviously, we had all sorts of huge gains, but you know, we're buying and selling, we're doing some trading. And so everything that was down, we sold and bought it right back. It worked very, very well. The next topic is another bit of academic one to get the year started. And that is the difference between possession, ownership, and control. Why bring up such an arcane legal topic? Well, it's very, very relevant if you had a Celsius account or a Gemini account or a Genesis account, and there are billions of dollars among those three, it becomes a very important uh, distinction. Let's say you gave, I'll use gave, let me use the word transferred, transferred your some tokens to Celsius or to Gemini. You transfer them and what is the legal status? If you still own them and you did not give up title, when there's a bankruptcy, those are your assets. Celsius is holding them on your behalf. They have possession. They may have control, and in almost all cases they did, but they did not have ownership. Now that's a huge distinction if, if something was, was lent to them, so you still have title. Because then in bankruptcy, you get your, you get your property back. No question. Yeah, the bankruptcy doesn't affect your assets because those are your assets. Now, if they stole your assets or something, that could change things. But that is theft at that point in time. It's not mismanagement or something. If, on the other hand, you gave them, you invested with them, so you, you gave up title to whatever you're talking about, say Bitcoin and, or even U.S. dollars, 
and you get back a piece of paper and you have a con you have a contract but you give up ownership control and possession then when there's a bankruptcy you're just another creditor and what's happened so far is courts have all ruled that people invested with celsius gave up ownership so it's very uh, it's very interesting for people who have been hurt in crypto so now i'm going to go into what the three of these items are ownership you have title to you have retained title to the asset then you have possession which is obvious if you have a custodial service let's say you have a bunch of bitcoin you're paying somebody a two percent tax as i like to call it a two percent fee to hold on to your bitcoin you have ownership they have possession and at that point in time you can get it back anytime you want so you have ownership and control and they have possession on the other hand you may have uh, let's see you have another arrangement where you have a window only once every 30 days can you get your tokens back except for that one day when you can get them back you have ownership but this custody service it has possession and control limited control it can't do whatever it wants with it except for that one day you can get you can get your tokens back so in the crypto space in particular and to a lesser degree in the fiat space it's really important to track in any transaction possession ownership and control another way of looking at it a bit more simplified is who has custody and who has title custody is effectively possession title is ownership and control isn't present in that dichotomy it's more a trichotomy so very important to track much more important in this day and age and it really kicks in strongly when you talk about doing business on a centralized exchange cfi or or cex in a decentralized exchange defi or dex because there you generally you maintain ownership you maintain control you give up possession and there may be limits on your control but it's very important for you to track what exactly you're doing because this is directly related to or, or not even directly related to it determines a lot of the risk that you're undertaking particularly in the crypto space but also in the fiat space it's simply that the fiat space is more regulated so the number of open questions is much smaller the fourth and last issue is a very small one it turns out I had a, a fan in Oregon who of out on a limb who unfortunately died recently um, Helen Shamrell was 101 and a half years old uh, knew the lady very well knew her for about 40 years um, didn't know right away that she was watching the pot or listening to the podcast but she is she succeeded by her brood she has uh she had eight she and her husband had eight children amazingly this woman when she died had just had her first great great grandchild uh, helen loved out on a limb young as young as it is because this is episode 19 uh, she succeeded by her her importantly for me one of my longest standing friends one by the name of katherine shamrell or katya as i call her because we met studying russian so shout out to you guys helen you lived a, a wonderful life I wish I'd remember to do this or thought of doing this before you died, but hopefully you're listening somewhere. In any event, I know uh, Catherine is or Katya is so uh, very uh, a, a life well lived. Uh, I'm going to miss you, and uh, your funeral's next month, uh, and I'm going to get up there with my daughter. So on that rather somber note, 
I wish you all a, a very successful 2023. We're off to on a very good foot. I'll probably discuss that next year. And in the meantime, uh, you guys have a good week. Thank you.